Begin Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On the same day when evening had come, He said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took Him along in the boat as He was. And other little boats were also with Him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But He was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke Him and said to Him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be? that even the wind and the sea obey Him. This is the Word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. You may be seated. A couple of notes on this passage before we get into it. He says to them, after the calm, He asks them, why are you fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And the very next four words say, and they feared exceedingly. The storm is bad. They think they're going to die. It's all calm. And Jesus says, so don't be afraid now. And then they get more scared than they were. Wonder why that is. Well, today, we're going to find out that might not have been such an irrational response considering the way we are as people. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I have a lot of things to do and they all kind of crowd on my mind at the same time. So even if I'm in a quiet room by myself, it's noisy. But the noise is all, I got to do this, I got to do that. You know, don't forget this. Oh, you forgot to do that. All these things keep going on inside my head kind of like a critic. Do you have that? I don't like it when it happens, but it does. It's almost like, what's going on? Why is it so noisy in a room that doesn't have noise in it? Well, there's a Bible story of a man named Elijah. His story is told in 1 Kings. And and Elijah has has this idea that he's alone in his struggle. As a matter of fact, he gets pretty depressed about it. And I want to share with you a little bit of that story. It's in, if you follow along, it's in 1 Kings 19. And beginning in verse 2. And it says, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And this is when... The prophets had been destroyed. And she wanted to get rid of Elijah. And when he saw this, he arose and ran for his life. And he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And he said, it's enough. I've had enough. That's what he's saying. I've had enough. 
Now, Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. Frustrated. Alone. Scared. Knowing that he lived his life to this point and felt like he really didn't make a difference. And now he's under attack and they're wanting to take his life. So he lays, as he lay and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. He looked, and there was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water, so he ate and drank. And he lay down again, and the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and then he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Oreb, the mountain of God. And in that mountain, there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. I have failed. There is no place for me to go. Nobody cares about you but me. This battle is mine alone in this world. And you just don't get it, God. Just take my life. It makes no sense anymore. And God said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Now this is where it kind of gets to be like me. It says, And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Now, I don't know about you, but in life for me, it's kind of like one crisis to the next. It's what's making the most noise and most urgently demanding. And there's really little time to get quiet before God. You ever had those days? You ever had those weeks or months? I came off a stretch of those and wouldn't you know it, I went on a vacation to get away from it and the wind and the storms found me. I picked a good week to get away from it all, didn't I? (laughs) Talk about that noise that goes off and the weather alerts going, that kind of screeching sound. It was off every five minutes or so. And we, we got to going, okay, where's the tornado? Where's the warning? How far do we got to go? Where are we going? Which direction do we need to go? Is it near us? Is it coming our way? Or is it past us? I have never, ever seen that much turbulence. But that's what it seemed like. I was looking to get relaxed in nature with God, and nature's kind of destroying the plan. My plan, that is. Seems God had a different plan in mind. But that's what it was like. It was this great wind, and I'm looking for God, and I see this um, storm going by. A lot of folks were closer than I was. I was like a couple miles away, a safe distance, where I could just you know, video for a while watching the thing go by. And um, in that safe distance didn't really make me feel too safe. Because I knew... More could come after that, and more after that, because it wasn't an isolated event. And that's what happens, isn't it? 
things start crowding in on us, and then all of a sudden there's another one, and then another, and then another, and all of a sudden you're, you throw your hands up and say, I've had enough, and here comes another one. And you think, will it ever end? And you cry out like Elijah did, God, I had enough. I've had too much. I've gone beyond enough. You've never been there, have you? Maybe you have. Maybe you are there. Maybe you understand what I'm talking about. But that wind was so strong it broke the rocks of the mountains in pieces, but God wasn't in that wind. And it says after the wind was an earthquake. Isn't it ironic that the two events that are described here that Elijah experienced we've had in the last three weeks? An earthquake. It says God wasn't in the earthquake. Then after the earthquake, a fire. And it says the Lord was not in the fire. But after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was. Don't ask me how, but when you hear these loud noises, earthquakes and fires, and you're all panicky, and then there's this real quiet noise, you go, huh, I heard that. How could he hear it with all the other noise going on? How could he get quiet enough with all the demands of those other crazy things happening to say, oh, I hear a small voice in the midst of it. But he heard it. And he wraps his face because he knows it's God. And he goes out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice says to him and says, what are you doing here? What are you doing? And he said, I've been, it's the same thing, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Finally, in the midst of his own personal calamity and the environmental dangers around him, he gets to speak with God. And in that instance, God doesn't take His life. His plans are messed up again. As a matter of fact, this whole section here is one of the greatest sections in Scripture to me because right after that is where God gives him the remnant story where He says there's been 7,000 who have not bowed to Baal. I have kept a remnant. You are not alone but Elijah hears that I don't know about you but I kind of understand Elijah's cry and saying God can you please just make it stop for a while and I understand how people can get hopeless and our teen suicide rates go higher because they just want it to stop can the pain just stop for a while unfortunately that isn't an effective method for for a while that's for uh, forever it doesn't work the only reason that some people are afraid of that is because they know that God's judgment could come on them but I want to share with you that if you're in a place where you feel like you've had enough where God seems distant or where you don't understand where to find God in all the noise around you that you can't find God in, that I understand how you feel. And the Scriptures today 
are clear about what's going on. I really, really can relate to what's happening with Elijah. I also can relate to the opening passage in Mark where they're on the boat with the wind and the waves and the storm. It's dangerous. In one translation it says the boat's already filled with water. That is not a minor storm. These are seasoned fishermen, some of them, but they are all fearful for their life. I often wondered though, if the boat's full, why are they worried? Because it can't take on more water. There's no more water to put in it that will stay, so they're already at the worst of the filling. But the winds, so now they think they're going to sink. And I understand that. It's Elijah also saying, God, I'm sinking here, I'm drowning, I need some help. What are you going to do? Why aren't you doing it already? Someone once said, don't tell God how big your storm is. Tell the storm how big your God is. Start talking about God rather than the storm, in other words. But what we focus on seems to get bigger and take more of our attention. And usually, it's a way from where God's trying to move us. So when Elijah heard the still small voice, he went out and he heard the voice of God. And and, and for me, I'd like that. To hear a still small voice beckoning, saying, My name, come out from where you're hiding. He was in a cave. He, He wasn't just hiding from the storm around him. He was hiding from Jezebel. He walked 40 day journey, but that didn't mean she's going to give up trying to take his life. So he's afraid on all fronts that he's the only one who loves God and it doesn't seem to make a difference. That his life is in jeopardy. And now there's all this environmental turmoil taking his attention away so there's more. I thought it was interesting uh, Johnny, my son, struggles with anxiety. But when the tornado warnings were going on and we were running from them, he said, I wasn't anxious at all. I was kind of happy and excited. I, didn't, I don't know what happened. And then he said, it's because I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't thinking about being anxious, so I wasn't. And I said, remember this lesson, son. <laughs> so when there's no storm, you can stay less anxious. But here we are, afraid, with the disciples in a boat, and they go and get him and say, don't you care, we're perishing. And when he says to them, first of all, he rebukes the wind and says, peace, be still. Now, this peace, be still phrase in the Greek is a little different than the way we get it in English. The idea here is to shut up. This be still is to be quiet. Don't make any noise. And this word peace means to actively engage in doing nothing to cause turmoil. To calm down. And Jesus speaks and says, peace, be still, and the storm listens. And it's a great, it's, I like to say it's a great calm. It's from a tornadic wind 
and waves to sheer glass lake in an instant. We can't fathom that. And then Jesus looks at the disciples and says what I said earlier, why are you afraid? How is it you have no faith? I'm not sure what part of being afraid in a storm means lack of faith. That's what I would have said to him. Why would I not be afraid when I know how much a boat can handle and I've had enough and it's had enough? I know when I'm at my limits. I know when I'm in jeopardy. God, why are you telling me not to be afraid? My life about to end here. Same thing Elijah said. And they were afraid worse because Jesus calmed the storm. Now, now I don't understand that. And maybe, maybe you can help me a little bit this morning understand this. Why would it be that the thing which they asked Him to do, help us, He does, and they go, oh, why did you do that? We thought maybe you would bail the water or help us row. Don't miss this. It's in the midst of the storm the miracle happens. Not before the storm, it's in the midst. They were just wanting a band-aid on the problem. But Jesus said, I'm taking care of it 100% all the way. I don't do things halfway. When I do it, I do it complete. But they were afraid and they said, Who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him? Hear this carefully. The first thing we know about Jesus now is He controls nature. He can control it. It must come under His authority. Nature must, right? So if you're facing something in your life that has to do with environmental, world, atmospheric conditions, Jesus Christ has authority over that. You are under Jesus Christ's authority as His child or brother or sister as a believer you're under his authority so that authority that he has over nature also has you covered as well that's the first thing I want you to know the second thing comes as this gospel of Mark tells the next story and this next story is of a man who has a problem as a matter of fact, the first verse of chapter 5 is the next verse in Mark. It says, They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadareans. And maybe you know this story. It says, And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountain and the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now get this picture, okay? This man, they put shackles and chains on to control him. They tried to tame him, which means they tried to calm him down. 
They tried to take away whatever was driving him. So much so that this man ran naked out there without clothing. But he broke chains. He crushed shatters. This is something that we can't do as people. But this man, because of his possession, had unhuman strength. And so what's going on is they're trying to manipulate or control the situation because they don't think that there's a cure for this man. You say, what do you mean? If you're sick and you're out of control, do they put you in chains? <laughs> do they put you in shatters or shackles? Do they do that? If you're in the hospital, they go, well, better chain you up. <laughs> no. They begin to find ways to find what's wrong and do something. Well, that's what they did with him first. Tried to tame it. Figured out. It didn't work. So the next answer was, we can't fix him, let's control him. Let's put him in a place where he can't hurt himself. So they put him out in the tombs. He's known as the Garrisonian demoniac. And we find in the story that he has over a thousand different evil spirits in him. Over a thousand. Can't imagine. How in the world do you expect a person to live with that, let alone somebody else try to fix it? It's impossible. And this man would cut himself and gash himself and not knowing how to get rid of this problem that he has. And I'm sure he's going, God help me, and God's not doing anything. He's stuck. He's afraid that he's going to live his whole life the same way with no answer. Just like the disciples in the storm. We're going to end our life just like this in the boat. There's no answer. Just like Elijah. I'm going to die in this cave. There's no answer for me. We get that way sometimes. It's not a comfortable place to be. As a matter of fact, it's a very lonely, scared, and can often be depressing place. We don't want to hear from people, not even our family and our friends. We just want to be alone. So they put this man alone. Because he couldn't have a friend. He would have destroyed them. And he's his own worst enemy. <laughs> I've been my own worst enemy lots of times. But I understand how this man felt. I can relate, and that scares me. But we can all relate at some point in our life to feeling like our lives I'd just be better off alone. But it doesn't end there. It says when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped Him. Even in your worst of your worst, you can worship. You can worship Jesus. You can. But listen to what it says. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For Jesus has said to the man, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. When he cried out and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? That verse for me is one of the most powerful statements of faith in Scripture. 
You say, well, what do I mean by that? I want to tell you why that's important to me. And that's one of those verses I like to highlight, circle, put on the wall. It's because the wicked spirit is the one speaking. The legion of spirits within him are speaking. It's not the man. The man does not know who Jesus is. Okay? Jesus is this guy who's come across in a boat. And Jesus has spoken and said, Come out of this man, you wicked spirit. And that's when it says that. But understand this. If you wonder if Jesus is who He says He is, the wicked demons do not. All the minions of hell and Satan all know He's the Son of the Most High God. Second thing you need to know. First of all, nature. Second thing. All of evil and wickedness and all the wiles of the devil are under Jesus Christ's authority. They cannot overcome Him. They tried on Calvary. It did not work. If you are facing darkness and struggle in your life, it's under Jesus' authority. And under His authority, you need to get back under so He can bring you through in miraculous ways. He will do that. He won't do it on your timing, but He will do it on His. And He will do it. He doesn't want you shackled. He wants you free. But listen to how this story unfolds. Because there's another part of what Jesus does. He says, what is your name? And He says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And He begged him earnestly that He would not send them out of the country. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but let me share this with you. Jesus can put them wherever He wants. Don't send us out of the country. We're territorial (laughs) spirits. We're familiar with how these people think and operate. Let us stick around this area. And if you know the story, He sends them into the swine. They ask, if Jesus would, and the swine run down the hillside and drown in the sea. And then those who saw this happen told it in the city, and the people came out. Now listen to this. It says, They came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed, this is verse 15, and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. He was calm like the wind and the waves in the previous story that Jesus had just done that morning. And they were afraid. I would rejoice. Thank God He's free. But they're afraid. And they begged for Jesus to leave. (laughs) I wonder if maybe some of those folks had some wicked spirits and stuff they just didn't want to get rid of yet. (laughs) I don't know why they were afraid other than the fact that this just doesn't happen. That this kind of authority they don't know how to control. And you do get the picture, don't you? They're trying to chain him, chain him, shackle him. And none of it works. 
And they can't control Him. But Jesus does, and they can't control Jesus. So He's got to go. If I can't control you, you got to go. That was their mindset. It meant that they lived in fear. And so Jesus gets into the boat to leave. And the man who's been demon-possessed begs Him that He might be with Him. However, Jesus did not permit Him, but said to Him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how He has had compassion on you. And that man departed and began to proclaim in the Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Now, third thing Jesus does is He can help a confused mind. Mind that's scattered. Schizophrenic. Hallucinatory. Self-destructing. Jesus has authority over that. No person does, but Jesus does. Took a village for them to figure out they couldn't help the man. Probably took 20 people to chain him down. And it still didn't work. But you understand, when Jesus pronounced to this man to go home and tell your friends how the Lord has had compassion on you, this is the first and only time in Scripture that I can recall where Jesus doesn't say, don't tell anybody. <clears throat> don't have the time to tell you a lot about this man's story, but I do know this. He told him to go to the Decapolis. And the Decapolis was the cities of refugees who were criminals, known criminals, who could go to a place and live with other criminals and not come under attack. And this man went to the Decapolis and I believe he evangelized it. He said, go to your friends. His friends were criminals. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ can save criminals. He can use them for His glory. This morning I want to know, do you know who Jesus is? He's the soon coming King. The Alpha and the Omega. The bright and morning star. Do you know Him? He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, Prince of peace and gentle shepherd. Do you know Him? He's the healer, a restorer of the breach, the one who raises the dead back to life, the one who walks on water, who calms the sea, who overcame the world and withstood the devil. He is the Creator, the Living Word, the Only Begotten of the Father. Do you know Him? Do you know that Jesus? Or is He an idea that you still try to find the peace and calm elsewhere with different answers? What do you choose when life gets crazy? Oh, for a while, you can run the treadmill, but after a while, it gets too fast for too long. And if you've ever watched, and I, I, I'm not saying to do this, but if you've ever watched a hamster get tired running on a treadmill, and he stops running, it's kind of funny. He flops around the treadmill, and he can't stop. But he gets pretty dizzy. 
And that's how we get, isn't it? We just get dizzy and confused by the craziness of this world and this life. And we just can't slow it down. In Exodus chapter 6, Moses is trying to get the Israelites out of Egypt. And and there's a problem. And the problem with it is that the Egyptians don't want to let the Israelites go. And the Israelites don't believe Moses is the right man for the job. <laughs> they don't like him. He's on both sides. Nobody liking him, right? And he's getting kind of frustrated because um, what they do is they make things worse for the Israelites rather than better. And the Lord finally says to Moses, Now you shall see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. He will want them to leave, in other words. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, and I found this verse, I'd never read this before, or shall I say, and heard it this way. He says, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. Now the Hebrew there is El Shaddai. But by my name, Lord, or Yahweh, or Jehovah, I was not known to them. He was not, in their estimation, Jehovah, the Most High. God, Creator, Provider, Ruler, world changer. Why didn't God reveal Himself as God to them? Why did He not say His name? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were the beginning of a covenant relationship. And they went on what they believed was what God asked them to do. And they were faithful Establishing a land. At the time of Moses, the Israelites no longer have a home. And they're enslaved. They went down to Egypt freely and became a great nation so great that they enslaved them. Kind of like what Elijah was feeling was enslaved. And the men in the boat. And the man with the demons. And they became a great nation of slaves. <coughs> a good God might have slaves. But how can the most high God of all creation have His people in bondage and still be called God? These people are going to know who the real God is. It's not Pharaoh. There's a real God who's a deliverer who doesn't let His people live in slavery who think that if they choose Him, He will choose them and deliver them out of everything. But they've got to choose Me. 
And they've got to know that I'm not the God of Abraham. I'm bigger than what they think I am. Yes, I'm the same God, but they don't know me as bigger. Who can deliver from anything. And so, Moses goes, and as you know, Pharaoh sends them out, and they rebel. And because of their hardness of heart to accept that He really is that God, they didn't know Him. I'm asking you, do you know Him? Do you understand who He is? That life and all its demands can't touch Him. He's bigger than that. And life sometimes seems bigger than Him, but it's never that way. We just get confused. And we feel alone and struggling. I know how that feels. I was there. And in the midst of all the insanity, God calls out to us. And He says, be still. Know who I am. In Psalm 46, it's the only place in Scripture for where it says, it says, Come behold the works of the Lord. He has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to end of the earth. He, make, he breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns chariots in the fire. So be still and know that I am God. That there is no war declared against you internally, externally, by nature, by the devil, by anything that has dominion over you. So be still and know that I am the God over that. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth and I want you to do it. Is what he says. The Lord of hosts says this verse is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, but the Lord of hosts, Jehovah, is our deliverer. Not just a God, the one true, creative, life changing, world changing God. It took a storm for me to remember that. Thursday, Prizer Point. We're checking out of our cabin. We're taking the keys to the marina. And another buzzer goes off. Thursday. Oh, better check it. If you miss one, it could be the bad one. So we better check it. So we check it. And it says severe thunderstorm warning in your area. We look at the radar. And it's a minute and a half out. We decided to hang out in the marina <laughs> instead of drive through what looked like a gale coming. The storm rages. You can see it rolling. It's so bad you can't see 50 feet in front of you. We were glad we hadn't driven. It was a mighty, windy storm. But no tornado. Just hard, torrential rains. And I'm looking at the radar and my son says, I need to get across to the bathhouse. I need to use the restroom. I said, let me look at the radar. I said, you got 15 minutes and you can go. There'll be no more rain. You know what he said? He said, I can wait 15 minutes. I can wait 15 minutes. Why? Because he knew his deliverance was coming. He knew His deliverance was already there. And I said, you've got about five minutes of this bad stuff, three minutes of the not so bad, and then three minutes of the kind of crazy, and then two minutes of the other stuff, and then it's going to sprinkle, and then it's going to quit. 
It's what the radar shows. It's exactly how it happened. We knew in 15 minutes it would be over and gone. Nothing after. <coughs> Nothing. So we waited it out. And he went to the restroom. And my other son and I began walking in the parking lot waiting for him. And in that moment, there were no more storms. No more rain. No more wind. All I could hear at all was a couple of birds chirping happily and the whir of the constant sound of the pool pump. That's it. And I said to James, I said, James, listen. It's quiet. He says, I know. And I said, no. I mean, it's just the birds in the pool pump, nothing else. And he goes, I know. And it was at that moment I realized I wasn't panicking. No more storms. It's over. Finally, I can go home. In that moment, a calm came over me. A calm that had left me for quite some time to realize that God had gotten us through every storm without fail, without question, and we had to trust Him to do it because we couldn't change the path of those storms. <clears throat> Only God can. The last thing you need to know that Jesus can do is have dominion over you. Your life. Your circumstances. He knows what you're facing. He knows what's going on. Again, I ask you, do you know that kind of Jesus? Do you have that kind of peace even in the midst of the craziness? If not, this morning I encourage you without delay to change your opinion of who He is and find out who He really is. He is the Jehovah, the Creator. He is all. He's everything to me. When you lose sight of that, the storms are all you'll see. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I so much thank You for all the things in Scripture that show where You've done miraculous things through Jesus Christ. Calming the sea, calming a man with demon upon demon upon demon. Even healing people with issues of blood. Raising dead back to life. God, I am not able to do that. But I know You can. And I know You can do more than that. More than I could think or imagine. More than any of us could here. But God, some of us question sometimes if we even matter to You. If we're alone in the struggle. If You even care that we're here today. And your answer is the most resounding. Absolutely. He cares. He absolutely care for us, God. Totally love us. God, I, I, I'm asking if anybody here today needs to know that whatever they're going through right now is temporary. No matter what it is, it's temporary. 
that in a few minutes the clouds will break, the storm will subside. There are no permanent storms, Heavenly Father, and I thank you for that. But there is a permanent home you're preparing us for. So God, help us to seek you and exalt you that we may face and see your deliverance. Amen. Our worship team is singing all in all.